Hey, man. What's happening? I love candles mm. so much. Really? I'm a big fan. Yeah, aroma and scent are, are very strong triggers for me. I think they are for a lot of people, but mm-hmm. for me, they're very, very, very strong. Today, I'm rocking with a Palo Santo white birch and sweet grass right over here. Mm. Blessing my nostril pathways. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever noticed, like, there'll be times where we're in a conversation, if I get stressed, like, I'll just light some sage or some Palo Santo mm-hmm. at my desk. Do you do mostly, like, organic burning type things, or? I don't know so much what that question means. <laughs> Candles, folks. Candles. <laughs> Welcome back to the More in Common podcast. I am Keith with my man Rodney, and today we are with Kristen Kalina. That's right. And we are anchoring humanity in compassionate conversation. And one of the things we do in a lot of episodes is ask what the guest thinks about compassion. And Kristen said that compassion to her means meeting people where they are. And she will detail that in just a few minutes for you. And we love that because we think that is a big piece of it. So let's talk a little bit, Keith, about what we took out of the episode or what we think our listeners might take out of it. Yeah. Listen, I think this is just an opportunity. It's not a charged conversation because very rarely are they. But her tip is, is really listen more than you speak, but tying into listen more. When we talk about homeschooling and you may be triggered just at the idea that we're going to talk about homeschooling and what that means because she homeschooled her kids. And I think it's a really good opportunity to just hear it out, see what she has to say. And then, and really it's a, it's a good practice on, on homeschooling. What did you take away from it yourself? Yeah, I think it was a really good conversation on homeschooling. And what I took out of it is some ideas for how to best meet my children where they are and loving my skills and the skills of people in the community or even reaching out to a new piece of community, specifically homeschooling community. Like my, I don't, we don't homeschool our children, but that doesn't mean I can't reach out to that community for ideas. Uh, that's the number one thing I took away. And I would, I think there's a piece of, it's play, but it's like structured play. So we talk about Dungeons and Dragons or live action role playing, which Kristen, she's the, the founder of findermastermindadventures.com. And I think what she's found is a way to structure play for children and also now adults to help them play and, and find themselves, find new avenues for getting around very real things like being on the autism spectrum, being socially awkward, being shy. And that's a super awesome thing. So we're going to have fun with it. Yeah. So and don't forget, check us out more in common ENT.com. And if you like us, Like, seriously, if you care about the world seeing more positive things. The world, Craig. Right? I want more positive things in my feed. I want to experience more positive things. Well, the way we can make that happen is by sharing, by liking, and growing us in the iTunes algorithm if you really love what we're doing. So please do. And yeah, let's get to this conversation. I don't think every parent should homeschool. I don't think that that it's meant for everybody. I do think 
that there are school environments that are supportive and helpful, and there are kids who just do better in that environment. So I'm a huge supporter of education that is the right fit for the kid. And if you are, uh, if you have the privilege to be able to stay home and be with your kid, and it's something that works for your family, then sure, that's awesome. Today, we are with Kristen Kalina. She is the founder of Mastermind Adventures LLC, and kind of my boss, a talent management agency for professional game masters of tabletop role-playing games like the Dungeons and Dragons. Kristen helps people find connection and community through games so they can embrace their creativity and individuality and have more fun. Her goal is to create the industry standard for professional game masters and to establish a vibrant, safe community of fans of role-playing games. Now, examples of non-traditional game applications developed by Mastermind Adventures are Quest, adventure game for social skills mastery to help kids improve their social emotional skills, and the Game Influencers, a unique training program for businesses to learn about how to use influencers as part of a marketing strategy. Mastermind Adventures is currently developing programs that will serve as inroads for young people into the gaming industry especially for kids in marginalized communities. Kristen is a serial entrepreneur, loves cooking, gardening, photography, interior decorating, nerd topics, and whiskey. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm up, excited Kristen? to be here. Bo- hey. Boss. Hi, boss. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rodney's new boss and one of many, including himself. Uh, including right. Keith. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really could just... It, Open up every episode. Like, what up, boss? What up, boss? So we open up every conversation around your conversation tip. Now, this is a common one. So I want to try to find a, a unique spin on my question as it relates to listening. There is this idea, and you said it, listen more than you speak. How is it that you find a way to mute your voice in your head so you listen more, not just before you speak, but like, so you're not thinking about what you have to say. Well, I think some of that comes through parenting. I can't say that it's something that I've always been the best at, but as you have kids and then those kids get bigger, it behooves you (laughs) to try to listen to what they're saying, listen to who they're expressing that they are as human beings. And I think that that has helped me in other situations as well whether it's listening to other people's kids or listening to my colleagues or listening to my staff in a way that is more constructive and to really kind of not only listen to what's being said, but listen to what's behind um, maybe what what's being said or that person's experiences as being uh, something that is of value and that matters. So I I think that that's really been my journey as a parent and as an entrepreneur and as somebody who worked, who's worked with kids uh, for a long time is that it, it doesn't, it's not easy. It takes a lot of practice. And I think also the people who I admire who have this skill also seem to actually care about what the other person is saying and not just um, what their own opinion is. That would be my advice um, is to practice it more and think about, you know, because I think that people process a lot through talking. I know I do. 
And so a lot of times there's a lot of unwritten language that that's happening in the background there. So, yeah. I'm a, a big vocal processor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, my you... kids love it when I'm like, hey, just sit right here and don't say anything for a minute. And yeah. I'm just going to talk. I'm going to go from here to here. (laughs) (laughs) My mom is great for that. It's not going to make sense. Yeah. Yeah. My husband calls it rubber ducking because it's something that they do in software development where you have a problem you can't figure out. So you pretend you're talking to a rubber duck um, and explaining the problem to them. And then that helps you kind of unravel. So. (laughs) Got a funny visual in my head with that. I know. It's great, right? (laughs) I was going to ask about the care thing. Uh, You answered that. I was thinking actually this more actually as a result of a conversation Keith and I had yesterday about parenting and then this morning thinking about power struggles with our children and there's a book like parenting beyond power struggles or something one of the things they were talking about was kind of exactly very much what you just said like being able to think about what's behind what their motivations are but even your own for like why you're trying to get somebody else to do something for yourself as you I don't know if you remember but when you started down this path, what was it like as you were starting to understand your motivations and how that was affecting interactions with your children or other children or other people? What was that like for you? Do you remember? What was it like to kind of realize that sort of parenting journey of, of kind of needing to kind of understand the process uh, Even what more needed? so, like, the easiest way to say it is you, usually we say that it's easiest to think that the problem is the other person. But when you start listening, you start hearing what they're actually saying and what you're saying in your head. It's like, oh, well, what's actually the problem is that I just care about what's in my head and I don't really care what's in their head or I'm not even hearing what's in their head because I'm worried about mine. So that realization, that self-realization piece of this is often, for me, it was hyper uncomfortable. So I'm just wondering like what that piece of the journey was like for you. Oh yeah. I think that as most of us, we learn through our mistakes, right? I mean, we learn through, wow, that didn't go (laughs) at all how I was expecting. You know, it's, it's really in, in the realization, the results of my actions, I would say, and seeing that things maybe didn't go the way that I expected with my own kids or how they were feeling or, or just kind of recurring issues that came up. I had the incredible benefit of having some in amazing moms around me pretty much the whole time that I've, I've been a mom. I've always had uh, some older mentor type moms who could give advice, um, whether it be, you know, my own family members or, or people at the time I was very involved in church when we very first started having kids. And, but other communities as well. The homeschooling community is definitely one, but learning from watching other people and how they interact with their own kids and seeing how that can be different, asking advice. It is uncomfortable anytime that you realize like, wow, I really botched that up. You know, my kid is really sad now. Like this didn't go now, you know, this question keeps coming back again and again, because I'm not answering it in the way that they expect or any of those, you know, any number of those different things. I think that having the intention to learn how to do things differently is probably the best place to start. Um, and it definitely was for me, you know, like, oh, this didn't go really the way that I wanted. What's been the biggest impact on yourself 
that you've noticed as you have learned to listen more than you speak? What has been the biggest impact on myself? Yeah, yeah. I would say compassion, you know, having more compassion and understanding for other people in their own their own journeys or their own stuff. And sometimes that can be a double-edged sword. I think I tend to be, uh, <laughs> my husband's always saying like, oh, like you just see the best in people and that's not always good for you. <laughs> you know, like, I always assume that people have good intentions when sometimes they don't. So there's there's the other side of that. But But I do think that learning from people who've had different journeys than my own is definitely directly impacted my ability to have compassion to have understanding, to have better conversations with people and uh, to build relationships and community um, where I probably otherwise would not have been able to do that. I kind of want to talk about this for a second. Ask your follow-up, Keith, because there was something. No, I was just a comment. I was just going to say there's this, like we talk about in our four-step approach, being open to listen more. And what I'm starting to physiologically realize is very much what you said there's a moment in every conversation where not every conversation, a difficult conversation where you may get triggered and it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm ready to either fight or run away. So basically I'm either going to shut down. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm moving on at this point, or I'm thinking about that thing I want to say so I can fight back and organize my thoughts and I'm not listening anymore. So at that point we stop listening and we go into fight or flight. That listen to more, just as you said, it's like, okay, stop. I'm just going to keep listening to what they have to say. Changes. You still may stay triggered. You still may want to do both, but you do end up in this space of truly now listening to what they're saying, hearing what they're saying, not all your assumptions and projections and all these other things that go on to them. And it gives use such different context for them as an individual that it really does help ignite compassion. And I, I, I love that you said that. I think it's great. And I appreciate you sharing Rodney to you. Well, I had something else, but hearing you say that has made me realize why. So like people are like, Oh, like, how are you such a good listener? I'm like, I'm not, I just, I'm a podcaster. So I like during podcasting, I'm a really good listener. And at times in my life I am, and I just realized part of it has to do with the fact that I'm taking notes. Because like when you're talking and you say something interesting, instead of butting in, I write it down. Usually, sometimes I butt in, but <laughs> it's like, oh, I could do that around my house. Like when my wife starts talking and if there's something I want to say, I could just write it down. Like Carrie, like, hell, I have my phone on me all the time. I could just put a note like, all right, come back to this. Because so, so often I'm like afraid of losing a, a point or like losing some topic when if it's important, it'll come back. But I just realized that this is like, this will be episode 160 something, 170 something by the time it comes out. <laughs> and I just realized that like, this is write it down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I wanted to say you, you had mentioned assuming good intent of people. And so like Keith and I, like, I, I am like that to the point where somebody will be like, watch out for him. He's an ass. And like, just, and I'll be like, nah, it's cool, man. Like we're going to be homies. And then like three <laughs> months later, it's like, like, oh Man, no. It turns out he's an ass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I like I would rather give people that benefit of the doubt. Like I want to give them a chance to who knows. Once you make the negative assumption, it just spirals. It's hard to come back from. 
I think it's okay. I've lived probably at least half of my life now. Um, and it's taken me a long time, but I definitely have better radar than I used to when I was younger. And so, you know, now I can kind of see it coming a little bit better. I do still give people the benefit of the doubt. I do give still people a chance if I think, oh, you know, well, that person had a bad experience, but you know, maybe, but I do it with a little bit of a layer of kind of awareness or protection. So I'm not just like, Hey, here's my whole heart, crush it, go for it. You know, like I, I kind of do it with a little bit more of a, of a distance between myself and, and that person. So it's like, I give them the opportunity. It's usually my first instinct is almost always a hundred percent, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> but I still do kind of give people the benefit of the doubt and give them an opportunity. My, my husband likes to say, trust in God and tie up your horse. Uh, kind of that's the philosophy. Yeah. Trust, but verify. It's yeah. That's where I was going to go is for me, assuming the good intent, like it, it caused me to just, Oh, they're going to, they're going to take care of it or they're going to do it. And I never checked back in. So as I've thought about it, I now inspect what I expect. It's like, Hey, did, did this thing happen? Or are you doing this or whatever? And it's a much healthier balance. I think it helps me separate the fact that somebody can actually be a really good person and not necessarily great at the thing I need them to do or I want them to do or they want to do versus what I was doing was conflating it. It's like, well, they're a good person, so they should be able to do whatever. And that may or may not be. It kind of reminds me of Brene Brown has a philosophy about this too. Now it's escaped me. But it's basically, oh, is it going to come back? Like, not everybody is meant to do what we think or not everybody is prepared to. Um, and so helping them be their best selves is, uh, you know, being kind about that is expecting them to do what they can. And then if they can't, that's just not maybe the thing they were meant to do and, you know, expect differently <laughs> of that person. Yeah. Well, I think this is this is a, a nice launch into a topic and you alluded to to homeschooling and the homeschooling community and i think about the audience and everybody has a predetermined notion of what homeschooling is whether it's positive or negative there's still a stigma around it in many respects and so curious to to get your perspective and give the audience an opportunity to just listen and understand like what drew you to homeschooling and, and what benefits you gained from it. Sure. Yeah. And before you do, I want to say, I don't actually have any preconceived notions. Like I, I know kids that were homeschooled. I grew up with some, I've thought about homeschooling and my major thought is I don't have the patience or I would love to do it. I don't have the patience or I think the skill with little people, maybe with older people, maybe just that I admire people that can do it well. I hear you. I think a lot of people, we just lived, well, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> technically, even though some of us are like, it ain't over. It's, uh, we're done. <laughs> it's not done with yeah. us, but we're done. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so a lot of people had to homeschool their kids or, or what they envision that homeschooling is in this past two years. And one of the things that we as veteran homeschoolers had a conversation around a lot is that what you just had to do is actually not the same as, as homeschooling. We are also going through 
a an adjustment and having to understand how to do this differently during the pandemic. So homeschooling is not schooling at home. It's not schooling through a computer. It's not necessarily unless you choose to do it that way. To answer the first question that you had, which is, you know, what was the journey that led toward homeschooling? And so both of my kids are on the autism spectrum and my oldest is highly, highly, highly intelligent, um, but also very, had a lot of trouble with executive function, which is the part of our brains that, um, that organize thought, allow us to organize how we operate within a space. And so it affects like memory, it affects, it's kind of like this, uh, similar to folks that have ADHD, those same centers of the brain are affected in some kids that have um, autism spectrum disorder. And so for him, the structure of a schooling environment was not the right fit. Uh, he could, he should have been able to excel because he was very, very, very bright, very, very capable but he could not get out of his own way, um, which led to a lot of struggling uh, with trying to make that fit for him. A lot of struggling with teachers who thought like, oh, he's smart. So he can just be smart out, you know, smart his way out of <laughs> this disability that he had. And so at some point, you know, he was in fifth grade and he was just suffering in his was causing the need to like live up to a particular expectation when it came to these executive function uh, issues that he had uh, led to so much anxiety that he just started to really decline. Um, and so we pulled him out in December of his fifth grade year and we started homeschooling him. Uh, meanwhile, my younger son, who's two and a half years younger, so three years in school younger, he was in a special program for kids on the autism spectrum and he was doing fairly well. So we kind of left him there. Um, and then about two years later, two, three years later, when he was in fifth grade, um, there were other things that led us to bring him home, having to do with the school um, physical environment. There was mold found in the school and it was causing him other issues. Um, so I was like, I'm already home with this one. So I'm just going to bring him home till you all figure that out. Um, and come to find out he's in fifth grade. And he had lost, uh, he had regressed, his skills had regressed to the point that he didn't know how to read anymore. He had uh, significant issues with uh, some basic mathematics skills because he was the kind of kid who needed a lot of repetition and a lot of review. When we realized that that was, was what was happening, I was like, well, he's already home. So now he's staying home. Um, so a lot of the reason why homeschooling worked for us is, you know, first of all, I have to say, I don't think every parent should homeschool. I don't think that that it's meant for everybody. I do think that there are school environments that are supportive and helpful, and there are kids who just do better in that environment. So I'm a huge supporter of education that is the right fit for the kid. And if you are, uh, if you have the privilege to be able to stay home and be with your kid, and it's something that works for your family, then sure, that's awesome. And I would also add to what, not to interrupt, but what Rodney said is it's really important to understand your capabilities to school a child. Like, I know I'm a smart person. I'm, I'm educated. I understand things, but like, like you just said, 
a lot of repetition and a lot of review, like that underlying patience that while that's maybe special needs, kids still need in some degree. And you have the patience for that to give them the best chance of learning. You have to really self-evaluate. I could never, I, I wouldn't want to, because I don't think I would be the best educator for my children. I do think though, that there, that our society has taught us that public education is the only way to educate your child or public or private education or, or formal structured education is the only way. Um, and I also don't think that that's true. I think that, let me say it this way. I've never met a homeschooling parent that's like, I've got this. I know what I'm doing right that's at the okay. beginning. I've met one. Sounds like parenting. Yeah. Our society yeah. kind of programs us into believing that we, that it has to be like this formal thing. So why it worked well for my family is actually because it wasn't this very rote structured thing. My two kids needed very different approaches to their education. So my oldest son, because he's highly creative, highly intelligent, he really needed to kind of forge his own path. He needed me to say, okay, here are some different choices of ways that you can learn this. Here are videos. Here's a formal class, uh, you know, if you want to do it this way. Here are uh, research options. We'll just go to the library and research this topic you're interested in. Um, you know, here are all the different ways that you can learn about this topic. And then kind of let him sort of try different things out and then gravitate to the thing that he really uh, was most interested in. He was a very interest-driven child. Um, and so homeschooling allowed us to say to him, what do you want to learn? What do you want to know about? What, what interests you? What are you passionate about? And he could spend less time doing the rote stuff that he would probably never use and more time doing the things that he was really excited about. So he could do creative writing. He could, you know, design Dungeons and Dragons games. That was a passion of his from the time he was 12. He could, you know, experiment with, with taking video and creating YouTube videos if he wanted to. Um, like the sky was kind of the limit uh, with what, with how he wanted to approach it. And he always had options. It was like, oh, this is going on at MIT, this class on, you know, molecular biology or whatever, some, some little, you know, little kind of tidbit class. I'm mean, when I'm saying molecular biology, I don't mean it was like a deep dive. I mean, like, here's kind of a surface level introduction to, you know, how, how molecules work. You know, we could go take this class with other homeschoolers for the day. And um, so he had a lot of different types of options with that stuff. And that's how he needed it. My younger son didn't care about any of that. He just wanted to know when he would be done. If I do this, can I be done? Can I just be done? Could you just give me a checklist so I can check off the boxes? And when I'm done, I can do whatever I want. And that's how he needed that approach. Um, so he loved having, you know, uh, something that would say like, okay, here's your math for today. Do these six, pro you know, these 16 problems on fractions and then, you know, read for 15 minutes. He liked that very kind of structured approach to his learning. And, um, and so that's what worked for him. That would have never worked for my older son. So that's how it's worked for my family. How did you learn? Like, first of all, how did you, one, observe the very different needs? And then two, as a parent and educator, how did you, because this is, this is a very much a parenting tip as much as it is an education tip. 
how did you pay respect to that as the parent needing to diversify the cognitive load of yourself to be able to do that, right? So so part of it is just, you've got to sort of be a student of your child. You've got to really ask them questions, give them options, um, help them explore different things, and then watch and observe what what makes them come alive? What's the thing that they really want to do? Um, because we were homeschooling, we also, and, and in Massachusetts, and this is not true across the country, but in Massachusetts, where I live, uh, the options for activities for homeschoolers were astronomical. The number of different things that we could have done with our ch- children, we could be out of the house every single day doing something different with our kids if we wanted to. Um, so for us, there was a ton of options. Plus, Massachusetts is super rich in museums and experiential learning type stuff and uh, colleges that have classes, you know, little classes available for homeschoolers. Um, and and so the the brain trust of the parents involved in homeschooling, if you wanted to do something with your kid, it was just as simple as going on Facebook and saying, hey, does anyone know about how my kid can learn more about horses? And then people would say, oh, there's a stable here, or you could do horseback riding lessons here, whatever. Um, so I'm in a, it may not be this way across the country in different areas of the country, um, but I was very lucky to be here in New England where, um, you know, not just Massachusetts, we had Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Hampshire, um, Vermont, any of anything that we wanted to do was within a day's drive. That was very different than, uh, than a lot of other people. So we did a lot of field trips. We did a lot of classes and different things that were uh, available to us. And then I would watch and kind of see like, what, what is it about this that interests them? Does it interest them? Are they in the corner, you know, picking at grass while we're trying to feed cows or, you know, <laughs> like learn about corn and they're like, no, I'm out of here. Like, this is clearly not in, of interest. So, um, you know, after a while of doing that, and yeah, I think you guys know if you've got kids, you kind of know how they are anyway. You know if they're hyper creative or they're really interested in in more like building and 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 more kind of black and white type subjects. You kind of know where they excel, uh, what kind of books they like to read, if they like to read at all. Um, if they're more physical and kinesthetic type of learners and they need to touch and feel and see things. I mean, you you learn that stuff just by going on vacation with your kids, really. Um, so if you just kind of make it a point to say, oh, okay, this is the type of learner that they are. This is what they're passionate about. And then ask, <laughs> you have to constantly be asking the question, what are you interested in? What do you want to learn? You know, or, or just observe, you know, and I know for a lot of parents, they're saying, well, all my kid wants to do is play video games. Well, then there's, there's something there too. You know, you can definitely use that and get them into learning how to code, learning how to, you know, do graphic design. Uh, you know, and in and, and giving them those inroads into uh, the gaming industry and, and things like that. So, There's a couple of things there. Actually, my wife just sent me an article two weeks ago about two kids whose parents said they all they wanted to do was play video games. So they had them start solving uh, puzzles for Bitcoin and they made like 250K, yes. something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and it's like, uh, and Let's talk about yep, today. The games, all yeah. the games you want. Go have fun. You're going to learn about yeah. the, the blockchain. <laughs> I was in a game developer room the other day and it's like, you know what? You can also make these. Like you can play them and you can make them. And like you can, there's a living there. Okay. 
as we do, we're going to pause this right here. It's going to be the end of part one. If you're looking for something to listen to, some related material, episode 138, we had a chance to sit down with Lincoln Hope, an actor who also owns an improv studio and an improv uh, training program. It's episode 138. You can get it on this app that you're currently using, or you can head over to our YouTube page and watch the conversation. But it'd be a great way to fill your time while you wait for part two with Kristen, because the goodness is going to keep going. I want you to have a great day. And remember, compassion is free. You can give it to anybody. Just saying. Ah.